Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Glaza, joined as always by Ben Badler. We're recording this on September 28th, really in the dog days of the season. Down to the wire here uh, at the big league level, a few fun postseason races. How are you doing, Ben? What's going on? I'm doing well, Carlos. How's everything with you? Oh, it's all good. Can't complain. Me and Peter just did a little draft podcast. We finished up our draft reviews, so it feels like we kind of have that finally tucked away. We've got a lot of fun prospect promotions here. Um, I mean, you're going to be heading down to Jupiter here in a few weeks. That one's kind of flying up on us. So, no, things are going good. I'm starting to do some work on my Braves handbook chapter for the prospect handbook. So it's kind of the stage of the calendar where I'm looking at a lot of different levels of the game i mean i guess that's pretty consistent no matter what time of year it is for ba but in terms of like the actual work that i'm doing like it's really fun digging into a full chapter on the pro side calling pro scouts talking to player development folks about about the pro guys we're also like constantly looking over the the current year's class the 2024 draftees uh been been watching a lot of video trying to get Basically, our, our rankings updated. Me and Peter are going to start talking about some of those players and some of those movements on our, our board. And then, obviously, with, with the playoffs coming up, it's just fun to not only watch the the final days of the season and see who who gets in. There's been a lot of fun fun games, uh, some milestones being hit. Ronald Acuna Jr. obviously just got 40-70 the other night. That was cool to see. And then a lot of the the prospects that are being promoted to, to kind of help with these late-season pushes. It's just a fun time of year. I think I've slowly... I've slowly decided that fall is maybe my favorite time of year. I like I like the weather change. I like hoodie season, and I like I like October in baseball. So there's a lot to like for me. I'm I'm having a great time. Yeah, playoff baseball, Arizona Fall League getting started pretty soon. Yeah. Instructional league, um, gonna have some players coming over from the Dominican Summer League. Uh, some of them will do on field stuff, maybe. A lot of them probably won't. Um, and then college fall ball stuff, college workouts, college scrimmages too. So uh, a lot of things too that are unfortunately not like uh, maybe televised or, or streamed or easy to see. I, I hope one day MLB figures out they should just stream every Arizona Fall League game. That would seem yeah. like kind of a the- no-brainer to me. I was kind of thinking about the Arizona Fall League as you mentioned it, because that's one of the the areas that is obviously massively important. But for me, the Arizona Fall League has always been something that I've just appreciated from afar. I've never been out and seen it. It's not been like a priority for me to go to the AFL compared to all the other pro guys on staff. Like you said, it's hard to actually watch games. I don't think MLB is, is too interested in like competing with their playoff TV product. But it would be awesome if that was more accessible because – it's a really cool league. A lot of prospect hounds really love it, but it is odd that for me, it's kind of always been something that, that I just appreciate through, through the work that everyone else on staff is doing. I mean, Arizona fall league is pretty low on my personal list of like priority events on the calendar. And that might be kind of odd to hear, but there's just so much else going on this time of year. You mentioned the college stuff. There's still a few fall high school events that go on this time of year. Uh, the world series obviously is going on. Um, so where does the AFL stack up for you in terms of like events that, that you enjoy either seeing in person or you think are just cool in general to go there in person is the best experience because you can see, you can see two games every day with every team is filled with prospects. I don't think the rosters this year that have come out 
and the, the rosters will change obviously quite a bit between now and uh, even opening day and then pretty soon thereafter you'll you'll see a bunch of shuffles going on but um I, I don't think the rosters are, are particularly strong this year, but even still, you're going to go there. You're going to see a whole bunch of prospects, p- particularly on the position side. The weather is great. The atmosphere is so relaxed. You can get so you can sit wherever you want, pretty much. Like you, you can get as much up close and personal access. The the players are uh, pretty accessible, whether from a, a media standpoint or a fan standpoint too. Like if. if if you yell something in the stands, everyone's going to hear it. Like there's not that many people there <laughs> at the games. It's, you know, they're in the the big league spring training parks. It's, it's good weather that time of year, typically in, in Arizona. So um, it's a great place to be in person. If, if the reason that MLB doesn't want to stream games is because they think it's going to compete with, with their playoff product. I think that's, um, that's absurd, but that the I... amount of people who would tune out, of a big league playoff game to then watch an Arizona folly game is so minuscule. (laughs) And the ones who are, are just so diehard invested in your product anyway. They're watching it all. Yeah. Yeah. As a fan of prospects, just stream the games. It's, it's so easy to do it nowadays. And the cost is such a drop in the bucket for them to be able to do it at a pretty high quality feed as well uh, you could just use like just use some college students and, and have them broadcast the games if you want but e- even not so much for the live aspect of it you can just chop it up and use it as different highlights to spread on social media too so whether it's going to be on you know mlb network live or mlb.com live just i don't know why they don't somehow um, disseminate this to promote more of the you know the younger up-and-coming players yeah i guess this will be more of the consistent criticism of mlb that they don't do a great job marketing uh, its own talent maybe that could fall into that but i do think that the commissioner has basically come out and said they don't really want to have anything competing with playoffs but i, I kind of agree with your oh, yeah. entire point of point of reasoning here like the people who are going to be watching this game are locked in like <laughs> you're not going to get someone who was like, oh, maybe I'll watch the World Series today. But oh, wait, this Arizona Fall League, what is this? Yeah, I'll watch that instead. Like that—that that is not the the viewer that I imagine is going to be tuning into the AFL. It's going to be your super in-depth, diehard fans, prospect junkies, who are going to be all over all of this content. So I agree with you in that regard. Yeah, do, you, do you think that? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's why too. They you see teams during the playoffs they don't make announcements for news generally during playoff game days they wait moratorium on baseball things (laughs) yeah it's like just 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 have the news go out there have more people talking about baseball you you don't need to be so regimented about what you allow teams to say a little bit more free flow would would not be a bad thing yeah I wanted to pick up your comment about the the rosters being down this year in the AFL. I think the one that that stands out is Peoria of the nine top 100 prospects that that we have in the AFL this year. Five of those are on Peoria. But before we get into some specific players, do you think there's any reason for the AFL being down on talent in your mind? Do you think this is something that's uh, just kind of random. Some years you'll have good years, some years you'll have bad years. Uh, or do you think this is maybe 
symptom of how the minor leagues have changed or how player development works? Like, what are your thoughts on on the talent this year and whether or not this is like something that uh, that's just the new norm or just a kind of a blip in the normal cycle you get with an AFL? Yeah, there's going to be some normal ups and downs, but the double A and triple A seasons run longer now than they used to. So that could play a factor into it where teams could say, Hey, you know, we've had these guys playing um, pretty much from, you know, what in spring training and uh, playing games in March all the way through mid late September, like, okay, do we want them playing again in October? A lot of these guys are run down or, or just need, need a break. They need, rest so you'll see even on the position side some of the guys who are going there maybe miss some time this year with injuries I think historically with pitchers teams have always been cautious and and some of the better arms who are going to the AFL this year are guys who have missed time with injuries and are just going to make up for it with some innings in the AFL Um, so I think some of the longer season has something to do with it but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see more maybe the next year if it continues to be a trend. Obviously, there's still a whole mm-hmm. bunch of really good prospects too, but I, I do think overall the talent seems a little bit down from normal. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at Peoria's roster, uh, their top 100 guys include Carson Williams, shortstop with the Rays, Kyle Manzardo, first baseman with the Guardians now after that Rays trade, Harry Ford, catcher with the Mariners, who was – one of the walk leaders this year in the minor leagues, Chase DeLouder with the Guardians, um, who maybe is one of the more interesting players for me in the AFL, and then Tyler Locklear with the Mariners. If you want loaded prospect rosters, this is the one for you. Uh, but which players, I guess, specifically are you most excited about in the AFL or are the most interesting names to know or, or whether or not that's just like most exciting prospects overall or just players that maybe you can uh, you think could benefit uh, by the AFL for whatever reason. Th- this is partially why I'm excited about Chase DeLouder, just because he has battled some injury. He only had 57 games this year, but you look up, this is almost like has always been the thing for Chase DeLouder going back to his college days. His performance when he's on the field is significant. His numbers going back to James Madison on the Cape, and now he's got three different levels of pro ball. He's got a few games in rookie ball, a few games in double A, and the bulk the bulk of his pro pro games have come with Lake County and High A. But he's just always performed overall across all of the last four seasons, which includes every level I just mentioned, including the amateurs. He's hitting 364, 460, 621, 29 home runs in 157 games. So basically the equivalent of like a full big league season. Um, and I, I just think he's a fascinating prospect and maybe one, even in my mind, as I'm talking through him right now, like when is the last time we've talked about or mentioned Chase DeLouder? He, he's kind of been out of my mind for a long time now. And I think the AFL could be a nice little kickstart for his just prospect hype and to, to remind everyone how impressive a prospect he is because just the skill set that he's shown, his contact ability, uh, consistently showing really good plate discipline as a hitter, raw power, the physical tools. Like he's a fun one to me. And I feel like at least I personally have almost forgotten about him a little bit because of the injuries he's dealt with. Yeah. He's a very well-rounded hitter. There just aren't many holes where you can pitch to him. So like you talked about, it's a high contact bat, 12% strikeout rate this year. 
then you look at him, I mean, he's 6'4", 235, at least 235. I mean, he's a huge, huge dude. There's power to go with the high contact. Uh, maybe he doesn't show up in the home run totals uh, so far, but it is a lot of doubles. He's driving the ball in the air, all fields, extra base damage. I think we'll see the home run totals jump soon. Um, you know, he finished the year in double A. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in in Chase DeLauder's bat, the track record that you talked about going back to college, uh, including his time on the Cape too, with with swinging wood mm-hmm. bats. Just everything points to a, a really talented and well rounded hitter who I think is just going to be able to get on base at a at a high rate and hit for power too. Have you seen much of him defensively? Do you have any opinions on him defensively? Because I think me and Jeff uh, Jeff Ponce we talked. I'm not sure if this was when he was still a draft prospect or after he was drafted. Uh, we were kind of talking about him as a defender. And, and at the amateur ranks, he was perfectly fine in center field. And he moves around quite well. Like, he's a really good runner for for how big and physical he is. You were mentioning the size. And, and you'd be surprised at, at how well he can move around, especially once he gets up to speed. This year, he split time between center field and mostly right field. And I think that the, the corner is probably most likely for him. But we do see a few bigger than average center fielders that stick surprisingly long at the position these days. I think the general trend with players is that everyone is getting bigger and stronger and more physical. Like Ellie De La Cruz is not exactly your prototypical shortstop, but he's been making it work. So do you have any any thoughts on him defensively uh, or, or whether or not you think he'll stick in center field or, or should stick in center field? I think he's a little different than Ellie De La Cruz. I think everybody's <laughs> a little different than Ellie De La Cruz. Probably not yeah. the barometer, but uh, but no, I, I I certainly understand the point of there are bigger, more physical players who are handling center fields. I, I wouldn't push him off of it quite yet, but I do expect mm. long term he'll move to a corner. Probably just have somebody who will be a better defender in center field who comes along um who he ends up being teammates with but the bat certainly looks like it's going to be uh plenty fine profiling as a corner outfielder too yeah uh I, i'm kind of in agreement with you i read his defense the same way i think he he'd be fine if you put him out there but i would just expect that at some point he's going to be playing with someone who is a much better defensive center fielder, even if he, if he even if he can handle the position. Um, so yeah, I think he's probably the number one guy that I'm most excited about in the league. Who, who would your player be if you have one specifically, or, or if not, we can just move on to some other names who are who are interesting. I think the the arms that end up going there are are always fun to watch. Mm-hmm. If there are priority prospects who are there, usually because they've missed time during the season. Uh, that's certainly the mm-hmm. case with a couple guys this year, in particular Jackson Job with the Tigers. Um, yeah, he he had a outstanding season when he was on the mound. He's he's sitting in the mid nineties, touching upper nineties, and he's really mixing his stuff too. It's it's about a fifty fifty fastball off speed mix, um, and the slider obviously is something that we've all talked about a lot. Uh, it's for a long time it's it's averaging over 3000 rpm it's mid 80s that deep lateral break uh, it's it's a big time pitch uh, but his changeup has been a great pitch for him this year I, we wrote about it coming into the year in the prospect handbook that his changeup 
has plus potential and we're seeing that even more so this season it's it's mid 80s it's about 10 miles an hour separation off his fastball uh, late tumble fade he's got confidence to throw it against lefties and righties he's just getting a, a ton of swing and miss on it uh, including right on right with that change of in some of his recent starts so it's definitely flashing plus now and then uh, what jumps out to me too is you, you factor in the control he walked mm-hmm. six batters in 64 innings <laughs> he's he's walking just 2.3 percent of the batters he's faced this year 0.8 walks per nine most of that is slipped between low a and high and then he he finished the year in double a and just if you look at it on an individual pitch basis every every pitch he's throwing for strikes fastball slider changeup everything is at least uh throwing for strikes at at least a 70 percent clip uh we we have him ranked right now number 53 on our top 100 and our last significant update for the top 100 was at the beginning of august um he's been really good since then i think he's going to move way up our 2024 top 100 i mean but just between the the fastball two big swing and miss off-speed pitches control athleticism the the attributes are are all there i think for him to for for the potential to be a frontline starter and someone who i who i think he could make his major league debut next year yeah i mean that's pretty massive praise for joe i think it's it's well deserved his season is incredible we had written at the time in the 2021 draft class that he probably had the best stuff of, of anyone in that class, and that was including Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker at the time. Uh, I remember it was a case where it's kind of Andrew Painter as the leading arm over the summer, and then during the spring, one of the reasons that Jackson Job really catapulted himself up up the first round and, and wound up being the third overall pick was because of the development of that changeup. I mean. He had shown the fastball and the slider, which was like one of the highest spinning breaking balls of the class uh, that you would see kind of during the summer showcase circuit when he was still playing shortstop, still doing some of that two-way. Then he started focusing on on just pitching only in the spring. And he he had flashed the changeup at times, but I think it had very quickly, I remember making calls on him that spring and Scott's were like, yeah, everyone talks about the slider. The slider is so great, but his changeup has a chance to be a real plus pitch as well. So to see that pitch performing in pro ball against same side matchups too, I think is, is pretty phenomenal because I mean, you're you break down the the stuff he has pitch by pitch. And if you include what, what kind of control would you put on him now? Like he, he showed easy plus control this year in terms of the strike throwing. Um, if he's going to sustain that moving forward with a fastball, that's one of the harder pitches of, of any of the pitchers in the years in a fall. I think he's touched 97 with that pitch. Uh, wouldn't be surprising at all to see him throw harder than that. He's got a slider that has consistently been talked about as a potential double-plus offering. That grades out well analytically uh, based on just movement and, and power of the pitch. It grades out well visually uh, from scouts. And now we're talking about the changeup. I mean, he's he's checking all the boxes. He's a great athlete and now has a performance to back it up. Uh, I'm really excited about him now. Yeah, yeah, you will still want to see him show the durability to hold up over a, a full yeah. season. Um, I think that'll be one more checkpoint for him to pass, but every other box you could ask for him, he's mm. he's checking and 
took a step forward this year with just it seems like everything and especially the control in a in a significant way this year yeah and what i also like too about him if you i basically just looked up all of his high a outings uh, to the end of the season including one double a outing in that stretch it was 71 percent strikes and he threw at least five innings and all but one start one of uh eight different starts so he was taking the ball pretty deep early on this year uh, it was only a few innings each start but the fact that he worked five or six innings basically every time out uh, once he was moved to high A, I think is pretty encouraging. I mean, how many pitches would you have? What sort of range do you see him in next year as we start to uh, kind of think through our prospect handbook this year and, and realign our top 100? Uh, is he like a clear top 50 guy for you? Is he a clear top 25 guy for you? Like how high would you think about putting him on a top 100? Clear top 50. I, I do think the top 100 is pretty strong. I am a little bit more conservative, I think, than others when it just comes to pitchers in general. So I don't want to say top 25 for sure, but I I could see him going into that range. Um, There there Mm -hmm. are certainly pitchers we have ranked ahead of him who I would take Jackson Job over them right now. Um, So I think definitely top 50 for me um, and could be toward the – um, you know, could, could be a top 25 guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah. It kind of makes me sad when you talk about you. I think you have always been the most conservative on, on pushing pitchers up the board for good reason. It just makes me think of how tough it is for pitchers overall. I, I just remember we were talking about um, Andrew Painter, talking about Daniel Spino. Like, <laughs> I don't want to get hyped for more pitchers and have them get hurt, but it's always what can happen with him. Uh, it's never a guarantee with a pitcher for, for health. What, what do you think is the biggest question mark of his profile at this point? Just just want to see more innings overall? That's pretty much it, the durability that you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, I think that's you know such a big part of being a starting pitcher. Obviously, starters mm-hmm. are not throwing as many innings as they used to, but even still, like there's something to showing you can throw at least 100 innings in a minor league Mm-hmm. season um you know it wasn't something like it was you know i don't think it was like elbow or shoulder but um yeah. still it's 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 not you just want to see him be able to withstand a, a full season staying healthy mm-hmm. uh, but it's not like he it's not like he got hurt and hasn't come back and then we have to wonder what what's it going to look like when he comes back he was you know he was hurt earlier in the season came back and mm-hmm. has been phenomenal uh, since then so everything yeah certainly seems to be arrow up for him absolutely uh, another pitcher we have in the afl is blue jays left-handed pitcher ricky tiedemann i think probably a lot of the the questions we were just mentioning kind of uh, i guess less less extreme uh with jackson job you could definitely say with ricky tiedemann um this year he threw just 44 total innings between four levels, rookie ball, low A, high, or double A, and triple A, the results were pretty good. Um, walking maybe a little bit more batters than you want to see, but also striking out a ton. But it's also the case that Ricky Tiedemann pitched into the fifth inning just once of his 15 starts this season. So I'd imagine just seeing that uh, the durability, the ability to throw more innings, stay healthy. He's dealt with some injuries uh, as well in the past. I imagine that is maybe top of mind for you with Ricky Tiedemann. Yeah, and even the results were, you know, he, he struck out a lot of guys. He also walked a lot of guys, too. Yeah. Um, I, I think he is one of the players who 
stands out to me as someone who I think we have ranked significantly higher than where I would have him on our top 100. He's number 34 on our top 100 right now. And, And when I say that too, I don't think there's going to be much disagreement if, if any at all with the people on our staff who are much higher on him than I am uh, when it comes to the pure quality of his stuff, because it's fastball sitting in the mid nineties up to 98 uh, changeup has always been there. Uh, the the slider has really come on and, and become a bigger swing and miss weapon for him. He's, he's a very good athlete. I suspect we agree on all of those traits or, or at least pretty close there. What, what gives me pause is whether he is going to have the durability to handle that starter's workload because last year it was 78 and two-thirds over 18 starts. This year, 44 innings over 15 starts. Um, there, there was a shoulder injury this year that, that always is going to be uh, a significant concern for me. Like when I hear the term you know, minor shoulder injury. I think that should be an oxymoron. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. It just in general, it's always, I think, prudent to <laughs> bet, just bet that an injury is going to be worse than the team is uh, willing to admit. And, and then he missed a good chunk of time in the middle of the season in, in May, June, uh, a lot of July. And, and then you talked about how the Blue Jays have you know, really limited him this year where he's thrown He's thrown four full innings in a game just twice. He he had a four-inning start, his last outing, four and two-thirds earlier in the month. But 10 of his 15 starts have been three innings or less, and he's 21 Mm -hmm. years old. Um, This is not like a 17-year-old. Last year, his his high was five. He's never pitched uh, more than five complete innings in his pro career going back to last year when he, he threw more innings and and did get to that five inning mark a bit more i don't i don't know how many innings you you want to see a pitcher throwing consistently but if you do think that he's got the stuff to be the front of the rotation type guy you, you probably want to also feel confident that he can handle the volume of innings whether that's just uh the ability to to kind of retain your stuff to pitch that far or just like the health to uh feel comfortable pushing him as, as a younger player yeah. So, so as much as I like, uh, really like Tiedemann's stuff, my, my concern is whether he's going to be able to handle a, a starting role and, and starters innings in the big leagues. I, I do think there's risk that, uh, you know, he, he ends up more along the, like, like a Nate Pearson uh, or Alex Reyes, these guys where they flash you really, really exciting stuff, but then the durability holds them back. And, and I'm not ruling out, him being a starter entirely i just if i had to make yeah. a bet i would probably bet more on on reliever than mm-hmm. than starter here yeah i, I mean a, a multi-inning sort of fireman reliever role isn't super sexy and it's probably not the outcome you would want if, if you're you've been following ricky tiedemann or you're the blue jays just because the immense value you get from starters but that is a role that i think has a lot of value and and, and could still i mean the way we talked about josh Hader. A few years ago like that certainly seems like could be an outcome for Tiedemann so what would you want to see for a guy like this in the AFL would you want to see him stretch out uh and trying to see him get a few more innings in some outings like like what is the idea because it's weird to talk about having pitchers throw more at the end of a season um granted it is only 44 total innings this year for him like what is the ideal AFL for him to 
to maybe increase your confidence in that? Or, or do you think even this short period of time will allow you to change your, your opinion on him too much in either direction? Yeah, you don't typically see pitchers throwing uh, deeper into games in the offseason than they do during the regular season. So I, I don't know that there's anything he can do in the AFL to um, to kind of change that about the durability concerns other than just go out, pitch, stay healthy. Um, but yeah, it would just be more fun to go out and see him and, and see his stuff because when he is – you know, when he is healthy, when he is on the mound, it's, it's great stuff. Uh, you know, I, I can understand why there is so much uh, excitement about him just as far as the, the pure stuff, but I, I really need to see him go deeper into games and handle uh, a bigger workload during the regular season. That's ideally what I'd want to see, but uh, the Blue Jays haven't done that. And I suspect there's probably a, a you know, good reason why mm -hmm. they've been so, cautious with uh, not letting him throw more than three innings most of the time yeah absolutely all right are there any other pitchers you're you're interested in um zach maxwell is a name that's kind of come up a little bit lately both in terms of um just the stuff that he's able to throw jeff had a nice piece um if you guys haven't seen that as you're listening to this podcast he looked at uh, afl pitchers with outlier traits the fact that zach's uh, excuse me zach maxwell topped the list in velocity and he also was uh, among the induced vertical break outlier pitchers as well, a pretty lethal combination, big, huge right-handed pitcher. Uh, he was a fun name just from a data perspective. And if you're out there watching him, I mean, he's, he's going to be a fun guy to watch, but any other arms or should we move on to some other hitters? Yeah. Reds, Reds or Lever, six, six, uh, two listed two seventy five, big boy. Um, not a lot of strikes, but the stuff is, nope. <laughs> is, is really good. Um, I, I hope he throws enough strikes, Feel, but you have to feel good taking at least such a, a chance um, on on the stuff as a reliever, you know, six-round pick. Uh, pretty good value, I think, for a, a six-round pick. He should have some of the better just raw stuff out there, mm -hmm. especially with that fastball. Yeah, if you get any sort of like reliever outcome with him at the big league level, I feel like that's a, a big win for a six rounder. I mean, typically even even in the draft, your premium relief pitchers are going quite a bit earlier than that. Although there was a, a six rounder, Kate Denton, who was just taken this past year, who who I'd view as one of the best relievers in college baseball. So, I guess maybe the I wonder if teams actually now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if teams have come off that. It, it does seem like the first reliever always comes off the board around like late second or third round range, but I'm kind of going on a tangent that's meaningless here. Uh, who else are we excited about in the AFL? Um, I would say one guy I'm watching too is Tyler Locklear. Um, we talked mm -hmm. about guys with the Mariners, talked about guys missing time during the season with injuries. He only played 85 games, uh, missed time with a hand injury, but uh, you know, between high A, double A, he hit 288, 405, 502. He has big power. It's he can go deep to to right center to his pull side. Very good fastball hitter. Um, was just watching him like Takoa Roby with the Cardinals try to come into him uh, the other night with a fastball inner third and Locklear hit out to the berm and left center field. Um, if he, if he throws secondary stuff down, I, I think you can get him there but again if you make a mistake it, you're just asking for an extra base hit if you end up hanging one uh, i think the risk here is that he's he's a first base prospect now 
Mm-hmm. He he played third base too in college. He, he spent some time there in his pro debut, but um, after the Mariners drafted him, he was at Virginia Commonwealth uh, in 2022. Uh, he, he's just been playing first base this year, so the offensive bar is going to be pretty significant. So, mm-hmm. you know, do, do I think he's a perennial all-star? No, like probably not, but I, I do think he has the offensive upside to be an everyday regular at first base. I mean, we're not you know, right-handed hitting first. We're probably not talking about Pete Alonso 2.0. He's not that caliber of player, but probably more in the tier of, like a Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone, like those types of right-handed hitting first basemen mm-hmm. who have big power are in that two, two plus war area in, in their best seasons, you know, maybe with some yeah. variants up and down, maybe maybe approach a three win uh, season in a peak year uh, and stick around for, you know, half dozen or, you know, more years as a, you know, as a regular. Yeah, the the right right first base only type is is never a profile that's super attractive. I mean, even going back to his draft year coming out of VCU, I know there was a lot of skepticism about the profile. Both, I mean, for myself personally, just because it's not a, a profile that I'm typically in love with, but also from a lot of scouts. I know at the time there were a lot of scouts who wondered about his ability to hit professional pitching. There are some criticisms about the bat speed or the stiffness of the swing. I mean, he had always controlled the zone pretty well. He showed really impressive numbers in college. He hit for power in college, but there was criticism about the league he was playing in, uh, the Atlantic 10. But then in 2022, his first year as a pro, he hits 285, 366, 504, seven home runs and 31 games between rookie ball and low A. This year in 2023, in a more extended pro look, uh, reaching double A, it's 288, 405, 502, 907 ops, 13 home runs, 25 doubles. Like at some point, these profiles that you're skeptical of and and, and maybe you're scared to, to buy into fully, at some point they just keep hitting enough where you're like, okay, the bat might just be real. Um, I mean, Kyle Manzardo is a similar sort of prospect that I think of in that way who just isn't you want to be skeptical of it because they, like you said, the bar is so high to be a successful player at that level. I mean, I think of even like, if you look at Tristan Cassis this year, his offensive production, and then the war that you get when you are a first base only, like you do have to mash. So the upside is limited here, but at the same time, like he's pretty much hit everywhere he's been for an extended period of time. So at some point you kind of have to buy the fact that he can control the zone. He does have power. He's, he's hitting enough to get some of that power. So yeah, he's an interesting one. Yeah. The right-handed hitting first baseman thing doesn't, I don't know. I, I've never been as concerned mm. with that as maybe some other people. Like if, if you're a good hitter, it does feel like there've been some, yeah, it does feel like there've been some really good ones in recent years that have kind of nixed that i know that was like a previously a big no-no um yeah i'm wondering i guess for a while that that profile maybe there is still stigma with it i'm not sure but yeah you seem to not really care too much but in in my mind mentally i'm like yeah that's not that fun it's not a fun profile i mean (laughs) you're right if you can hit you can hit who cares yeah there's the realities of just how much you know whether you hit left-handed or right-handed how much you have to hit to just to be an average regular uh, mm. at first base compared to if you can play basically any other 
position, but you know, especially whether it's up the middle or, or at third base, um, where you know, where he's playing more in college, so that does ding your value. But if you can hit like Pete Alonso or Paul Goldschmidt, like, well, <laughs> that, that, that's you know, you have to hit necessarily like one of those guys, but um, but you can do it if, if you're a, a right-handed hitter there's no reason to uh exclude those 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 players or just, or yeah, just look up the, because they're right-handed i'm looking up the best uh right right first base types in baseball and i guess how far should we go back here to 2000 we go further back than that i just want to see what list we get and and what sort of players like exceed the two two war threshold maybe uh, but you can you can move on to other players if you want as I pull this up. Um, yeah, I guess the um, well, one other player who maybe doesn't get as much fanfare who I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of is Graham Polly. The, mm. the Padres drafted him out of Duke, 13th round, 2002. So in college, there was no 2020 season. He played some in 2021. Results weren't great. And then he had a nice season in 2022. High contact bat. Padres draft him late. He's been he's been tremendous this year. And mm-hmm. without a lot of hype surrounding him, he, he started the year in low A, finished the year with 20 games in double A, and he's raked at every level. It's combined 308, 393, 539 in 127 games, 23 home runs, 60 walks, 90 strikeouts. Uh, most of his playing time has been at third base, uh, some second base, some left field mixed into uh, 6'1", 200 pounds, left-handed hitter. I, I, I'm very intrigued by him. The The swing is pretty short, direct. It's, it's a, a high contact, doesn't miss much in the zone, hits all pitch types. Uh, watching him against Tink Hans uh, of the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. He mm-hmm. left a changeup up. He pulled it out of the park. Uh, I saw him take uh, 97 miles an hour off the wall uh, the opposite way to left center field uh, a month ago. I, I am surprised by the power that he's showing this year. I think almost all the power is is still coming to – the pull side. So I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that there's above average raw power, maybe average, maybe even below that too, just because of uh, the contact frequency and, and the ability to barrel the ball in the air out front. He, he's able to hit for more power than the raw power might otherwise mm-hmm. suggest, but he, he certainly looks like a big leaguer to me, which is pretty impressive for a guy one year removed from being a double digit round pick. I, I think he's an underrated player. Yeah, it certainly seems like that based on the way you're talking about him. It sounds like he's got a lot of offensive traits to really like. Uh, it is interesting seeing the home run production that he's had despite the exit velocity numbers, but in terms of like overall contact ability, the end zone contact ability, his ability to stay within the zone. Like those are a lot of things to like, what do you think about him as a defender uh, or where he profiles? Uh, I don't know. And then in San Diego, I really don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can play anywhere there. Yeah, I'm not sure where it's going to fit. Maybe more of like an offensive-minded 
utility ish guy. Um, not not going to play mm. shortstop, but somebody not play who can shortstop. maybe. There, <laughs> there are also a number of other shortstops who are, who are either already playing outfield for the Padres or probably destined for the outfield in the Padres. Like Jackson Merrill got a few games in left field near the end of the season because if he's coming up next year, like. There are only a few defensive positions that might be open. If they get rid of Jake Cronenworth, maybe he plays first base. It, it sounds weird to have Jackson Merrill playing first base or left field, but you've got two pretty good middle infielders there uh, and, and not, I mean, three really good infielders there that don't seem to be moving anytime soon. Uh, so you basically have to hit enough to get in the lineup and be athletic enough to play another position. So you're right about the maybe just the organization determining where he's going to play more than his actual ability himself. Yeah. And we'll see how much of that roster is intact or who's in charge of determining mm -hmm. who plays on that roster next year. There's a lot of things, obviously I think that could change quite a bit, but um, mm -hmm. he does just, he seems like a, a sleeper prospect to me who, who deserves more attention because it seems like he can, he can really hit. He has some good, uh, really promising offensive traits that I think will continue to to play at higher levels. Yeah. I mean, another hitter who's who's going to be at the AFL is Harry Ford. I feel like this has long been a, a personal cheese ball or a favorite of yours, Ben. Have you have you cooled it all on Harry Ford? I don't think he would have really given you a reason to do that this year with his season. Where, where are we standing on him? A lot of Mar Mariners uh, players to be excited about. A ton of walks. I mean, all the, him, Jet Williams, Tamar Johnson, 100 walks. All of them. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I like that. What 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 does concern me more? I mean, I liked a lot of the things he brings offensively, and obviously, the athleticism. The scary part to me is the defense. Still, mm -hmm. that that seems like uh, like he's he's so athletic. I'd, I'd like him to be able to stay behind the plate, but the the blocking and receiving give me more give me more pause about his ability to stay back there long-term. I, I would not move him off the position yet, but it, it does seem like there's, a, there, there is a pretty significant chance that he ends up playing somewhere else. The good thing mm -hmm. is he, he's not like some big slouch who's immobile behind the plate. Who's just catcher or, you know, first yeah. base DH. I could see him playing maybe third base. Uh, I don't think he's going to, you know, still run well enough to play center field. Although I don't know that you need one. It's another one. You're probably, yeah, you're probably not going to need a center so, fielder in Seattle. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's some defensive flexibility where if catching doesn't work out, there's still value there. Um, but the, the defensive side is something where, um, I'd be I'd be pretty keyed in on that watching mm -hmm. him in the in the AFL this this next month. He hit 15 home runs. He doubled 24 times. Are you at all concerned about the power with Harry Ford? I mean, the exit velocities aren't super loud. He's not the biggest guy in the world. I think he's shown the ability to just get on base at such a high level that that he's going to provide offensive value. But but what do you think about his impact potential or the chances to? grow into more power in the future with him because that would be one area where just looking at him offensively i like a lot of what he does um, but i don't know how confident i am that that he's going to be uh, like a 20 plus home run guy not that especially if he sticks a catcher i don't think he would really need to do that 
Um, but what are your thoughts on his power uh, projections? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it too. I mean, his his best offensive trait is probably his eye, his patience at the plate, mm-hmm. and then that works great. Obviously, at the lower levels, the more you move up, the more that gets tested. And, you know, is it plus power? No, I don't think it's it's plus. I think he there is some hard contact in there, but it's it's not it's not consistent. It, I think it shows up to um, you know you, you can see it in the the numbers um, that he's he's produced the last couple of years. So yeah, I mean that would be another uh, concern too. I, I think there's definitely bat speed in there, but mm-hmm. I, he's not somebody I would expect to be a you know an above average power guy long term either. Yeah, like you mentioned him being in, in the sort of phylum of player as a Termar Johnson or Jet Williams, these shorter guys who walk a lot. Like I think both Jet and Termar, I'd probably be more optimistic about what they were able to do power-wise. Just with Termar, I think it's like the bat speed I'm much more excited about. And then with Jet, I think he's just a lot mm-hmm. more physical and the strength in his hands. Like some people seem to be more pessimistic about Jet's power uh, potential than I am. Maybe I'm just towards the more optimistic range of outcomes for his power. But I I just think both those other two have more likely outcomes to 20 plus home runs uh, than Ford. But also, I mean, Harry's got a chance to play a more premium position than either of those two players. uh, Even though you you noted some of the improvements he needs to to still make. I think next year will be a really um, pivotal season for him. I mean, this will be his first test against the upper upper levels you would think i would imagine he goes and gets a pretty good chunk in double a if he's healthy he's had a full season in low a he's just now had a full season in high a he's doing the afl um so both for for that catcher defense improvement if he's not making any considerable improvements next year maybe that's the time when you start to wonder okay what other positions could he likely play and then also too if if the the chase or the on base ability if that falls just because you're facing better pitchers who are throwing more strikes and can challenge you in zone more consistently um it's a lot of questions that uh that could be answered this year or, or next year i should say yeah yeah is there uh anybody else in the fall league it's uh jumped out for you on the rosters um the... i think both those are a lot of the names. DeLauder was the one that like had kind of fallen out that I was excited to see on there. I'm not sure that we need to talk too much about Colson Montgomery and Carson Williams, but they're both interesting shortstops that I find myself liking for very different reasons. I think Carson Williams has a chance to be one of the more kind of dynamic and fun players to watch. So if he goes out there and hits well, I would be encouraged. Um, but no, I think those are the kind of the main ones. Yeah, yeah, Montgomery's number 14 prospect on our top 100 uh carson williams number 22 uh ray shortstop so definitely two of the best uh two of the best prospects will be in that Mm -hmm. league yeah all right let's move on to let's move on to some pro stuff i feel like every podcast we've had a lot of call-ups and promotions uh to talk about there are a number of players we could talk about um, in that regard, but Junior Caminero was promoted. Um, Orion Kirkering was promoted. We've got Noavi Marte moving up. One of the million Reds uh, young players that's that's having a lot of impact at the big league level. Like, which one of these players jumps out to you? And uh, I guess there are probably a number of others we could talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. The September call-ups has kind of changed, obviously, right? With the 
rule changes. So we're seeing more like August slash September <laughs> call-ups. Now the, the main guy to me, not that he's the best prospect, obviously junior Caminero of this group is the best one, but I mean, Orion Kirkering, his slider, the, the Phillies reliever, his slider is just so filthy. It's it, insane. Yeah, he won. He qualified for three leagues, three different minor leagues for our best tools, and he won best breaking ball in every single one that he was in. Right? Yeah. (laughs) If there's somebody in one of those leagues who has a better breaking ball, please let me know because that's (laughs) going to be an 80 pitch. If someone has a better breaking ball than him, it's it's hard. It's 86, 88. He's throwing his fastball in, in the upper 90s and then his slider it looks just like a fastball coming out of his hand and then it just snaps off with this hmm. vicious bite like depth tight spin 2900 rpm consistently it's like a foot plus of, of lateral break to it he'll back foot it to lefties gets swing and miss both sides of the plate uh, and then Again, he's sitting 98 miles an hour with his fastball. Like that's that's a good pitch too. But he leans really heavily on mm. that slider for good reason because it it is a, a plus plus pitch. What's the usage rate so far that he's been using that slider at? Do you have that on hand? Uh, in in the minor leagues, I mean it's it's been a pretty small sample in the big leagues. In the minor leagues, mm. he was throwing it almost as much as his fastball, just kind of depending on. Yeah. on the outing um he he really throws that, it a lot and he should the, throw it a lot i agree yeah i think it, it should be really close to a 50 50 split if not more for the slider just given the role he's in and just given how insane that pitch is i remember well i don't remember but i when he was promoted and when we were seeing how good the breaking ball was i, I pulled up his draft report just to see what we thought about it at the time it, it looks like i mean as a fifth rounder he already looks like a, a pretty good steal um but man this reading his report just kind of emphasizes to me how good scouts are because we had written about him. He had bounced around out of a bullpen role. I guess he pitched mostly out of the bullpen for South Florida for two seasons when he was with the program. But in 2022, he was kind of the split starter, uh, split reliever role. The results weren't great. It was a 5.72 ERA over 67 innings. He had a 30% strikeout rate. Uh, and a pretty low walk, walk rate as well. So I think there was some thinking at the time that kind of him bouncing back and forth between roles never really let him get comfortable. And we wrote this in the report that it wouldn't be surprising for a team to draft Kirkering, put him in a reliever role, and continue to up his slider usage at the next level where he could show or find more success. And I'm and sure there's the a little bit... the next year, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and reach the big leagues. <laughs> we, we thought the ETA was really quick. Um, so they were definitely onto something with that. He has been a monster all year. He's obviously raced uh, through, through really every level of the minor leagues. Now he's in the big leagues. The walk rate's down, but he does seem like that perfect sort of player to just throw into a reliever role and let him just throw that slider as much as he can. I'm not sure what grade we had on this pitch at the time, um, but I do remember that the Phillies, when we did our draft report cards, they were, they were really raving about how good that breaking ball was. I'm going to even try and pull that up and see if we have anything on it. But yeah, he's I mean, been just last to watch. I think he's also going to be just like one of these players that's constantly on pitching ninja because the way the pitch looks is, is so awesome. He's going to get so many ugly swings. Well, yeah, you talked about going back to his draft year. I, going back, it was last year. <laughs> I, I remember watching him <laughs> going into 
the 2022 draft thinking like, Hey, why don't we have this guy ranked higher? Like his stuff is mm. so nasty. And then I look at his stats and it's like, Oh, that's what like, he's pitching at South Florida in the American <laughs> athletic conference. It, yeah. Good strikeout to walk ratio, but it was also five seventy two ERA, you know, five thirty ERA the summer before in the Cape. But mm. it's like you said, splitting between starting and relieving, but really a, a reliever. So he goes in the fifth round to the Phillies, and he's just been so, so dominant all year. I mean, low A to Triple A, and now the majors. Uh, I I think I think he's going to be a big weapon for the Phillies in the postseason this year. Absolutely. And I think I think maybe as soon as next year we could be talking about him as just one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think you're right. He's he's that electric. I just pulled up our our ranks cuz for whatever reason on the site I couldn't get it to pull up, but we had him as the he was ranked 197 out of the 2022 draft our grades on his slider uh which seems light now we had a 60 on it it was 55 fastball 60 slider 40 change 50 control um but the phillies man he walked i'm just trying to find his minor league walk right here or not minor league but college he walked four batters per nine across three seasons with south florida um basically immediately in pro ball that improved uh where's his combined 2022 numbers yes yeah, sub to 2023 minor league uh i don't think this includes major leagues it's been two walks per nine so whether this is i'm not sure like what exactly is the reason for him throwing more strikes if it's just like the consistency of the role uh if it's simplifying the pitch mix if it's just some some changes to his tempo or his delivery um Kirkring and or the Phillies have, have clearly done an excellent job. And it it is crazy to think of him being a big leaguer after just being drafted a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said double A is uh, a level below in terms of difficulty, the American Athletic Conference. So <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to adjust our internal uh, minor league equivalencies on our model for that. Yeah. These, uh, these small Florida programs just. Um, the level of competition really prepares people for the major leagues. Nolan Shanuel, who's next? Someone from a small Florida college next year. Uh, we just need well, to put him on Well, we're seeing other guys, track. too. Like, I think of Emmett Sheehan at Boston College. Like, do these schools, yeah. are they like, hey, like, look, promoting him as, like, one of our guys and a big leaguer and the success they're having? Or is it like, hey, why didn't why don't we get more from these players <laughs> when – when we had him probably yeah probably cuts both ways and in, in recruiting I think so. a little bit but yeah and there um, there's a lot of talk about how the like a lot of coaches have gone from the pro ranks to college uh and the the player development at the college level has improved but i think you still have a case where you can get players in situations where maybe there is still a pretty significant gap in the coaching or, or the feedback and instruction that you can get uh in pro ball and i think also still the, the big difference that i would hammer home for pitching development especially is when you're in the minor leagues everyone involved in your development is is trying to get you to improve the most as a player and at the college level that's just not the incentive like yes college coaches want you to get better but they also want to keep their job uh, and they want to win games and they want to get bigger and better jobs. So the way they're going to do that is by winning. 
Uh, and if they can win um, and maybe not give you the best player development track uh, to do that, that's, that's going to be what they're going to do. I, I think pro ball, the incentives are directly lined up for you to improve. Um, and so if you're not in a situation where you have a big league pitching coach like LSU and Paul Skeens, um, maybe there can still be a lot of room for improvement once you get into that pro system uh, or whether or not it's just the fact that you can focus on pitching full time. You don't have to worry about classes. Uh, there could be a ton of different elements. But even though I think that that player development and coaching has gotten better at the coach level or at the college level, um, there could still be plenty of places where it's um, a, a far cry from what you get in Pro Bowl. What, what are some of the ways that you think of when you talk about how the incentives may not always be aligned where the emphasis is on winning for the college mm. coach versus development for uh, yeah. a major league team when a, a player's in the minor leagues? I think for pitchers especially, you're not really focused on improving your pitch mix. You're mostly, you, you can, and, and this is not a blanket statement. There can be some colleges that do it better, but I always think of the fact that college coaches love to have pitchers throw breaking balls. Like if you have a really good breaking ball in college and maybe you need to work on your development of your changeup or you need to work on the development of your fastball command, like those are not going to be priorities for you in game because your breaking ball might be just good enough for you to overwhelm batters and you won't need to improve your fastball command because the hitters aren't good enough to capitalize on your misses in the zone um, or your breaking ball is just good enough that you can throw it in counts where maybe in pro ball you would need to mix things up more frequently. So I think a lot of it can be just the pitch calling, like the game calling that college coaches do. They're just going to go to the best breaking balls that could lead to like overuse at the college level. And I also think it can be a detriment to just developing your other pitches. I also think it can be playing time and the roles that you're in. And, and with Kirkering specifically, mm -hmm. we got scout feedback that said like he has been shuffled around um, whether or not that was because Kirkering just wasn't performing. So they, they bumped him out of a role. And so um, that could have not been ideal for him, just the consistency you need. But in the pro, in pro baseball, like the goal is to get you to be the best player you are in the wins and losses. Yeah, they're, they're important. And I think every farm director wants their prospects playing in games that matter and getting some playoff experience at the minor league level. But at the end of the day, you're going to have specific goals that you are looking for as a player that determine the success or failure of your season, not how many games did your team win. And, and I think the way that the minor league coaches, the way that they are graded at the end of the season is much less about the wins and losses than college coaches. Like if every one of your players gets better in a key area that was laid out at the beginning of the year, that'd be a successful season, almost regardless of the wins and losses. And so I think there are a lot of situations that that players can be put in at the college level that maybe isn't ideal for their personal player development, whereas in pro ball, that's that's literally the only goal. And yeah, there is it's great. Like you can sacrifice yourself personally for the team in college. I think there's still something you can gain from that. But in terms of actually maximizing yourself as a player, um, I don't think the incentives are, are always aligned for that. Yeah, if you're a 19-year-old freshman in the SEC and you're not pitching well, or you're just your coach doesn't think you're ready to pitch in a starting role, like you're either just going to go to the bullpen or yeah. you're probably just not going to pitch much at all. Whereas if you're a 19-year-old draft pick and you're in mm. low A, like, yeah, like if, if you're getting hit hard, 
like especially if you're a, a high profile prospect they're just going to keep running you out there like you're still going to get your mm. your innings they're not just going to say oh well um you know this guy's struggling we need to move him to our low a bullpen now like no this mm-hmm. was our second round pick <laughs> where you know maybe maybe we send him down to the complex leagues or, or to the backfield yeah. or something if it's if it's really struggling but um they're not gonna yeah, you have change, a longer change that as much you've got a longer leash for failure it's not like a do or die the, the college season is shorter if you're not succeeding in your role you're gonna get demoted very quickly um which again, maybe people would say, well, that's, that's the whole point. You need to compete, you need to perform. But at the same time, like if you actually want to develop well, you need to allow for some failure and then not to just completely shelve you, uh, shelve your playing time. But just imagine if Jackson Job got to Mississippi, uh, if for whatever reason, his spring wasn't as good. Like there's not a doubt in my mind that Jackson Job would barely ever use his changeup if he got to, to college. Cause that slider, mm-hmm. that slider would like most college hitters would not have a chance touching that slider if he's throwing mid nineties and then has this 3000 two plane break breaking ball that he can spin off and just put it around the zone. I would be shocked if he threw his change up more than 10% of the time in college. Um, and that's not to say that like every single pitcher needs to develop a change up. We've seen pitchers who can either have multiple breaking balls or you're just good enough with your fastball and breaking ball combination. Hello, Spencer Strider. But the fact that Job throws his change up and, and threw it more this year, I think is good for his development um, because pro pro hitters are going to be able to handle that breaking ball more than a college hitter, obviously. And so the fact that you can just take the time to not rack up as many strikeouts as humanly possible with that slider and just focus on the development of the change up, I think is a key component to developing as a pitcher. And, and I just think that like I understand it. This is the same thing with Paul Skeens. This is why I was so high on Paul Skeens' changeup in college. He barely ever threw that pitch because he didn't need to. He had a fastball that averaged 98. He had a double plus slider that he could command at will. Both righties and lefties had really no chance against it. And so for him at the college level, when you're trying to win games every weekend, you're competing for a college world series. Why are you going to throw this 90 mile per hour changeup and give a lot of hitters that aren't going to be playing professionally, just a chance to catch up because for the most part, he could just overwhelm hitters with, with two pitches. So it, it, it made sense for Paul Skeens to pitch like that. And, and I wouldn't say that LSU was bad for Paul Skeens development because I actually think the opposite, but just in terms of that pitch usage case, there's really no need for him to use that pitch. So I, I just think that both pitch selection usage, uh, the pressure to win now, like all those things aren't, aren't really set up for, becoming the best player you can you're, you're trying to win games in college yeah I, I would say on the flip side of that too if i were a college coach i would say the the pro teams also have the luxury of getting these college players when they're age 21 22 plus mm. um, whereas the college teams are trying to t- develop these guys between you know 18 to 21 and they're also getting the players who generally are not the elite players coming out of high school who are signing right out of the draft. I mean, there are still great high school pitchers who, you know, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, uh, Cameron mm-hmm. Johnson this year going to LSU who just don't sign uh, out of high school because of signability reasons, but are considered, you know, top for either first round uh, in the case of Leiter or, or Rocker uh, or top mm-hmm. two, three round type talents. 
and they still end up going to school. But uh, there, there is somewhat of a selection bias there. And there's, you know, they, they could have pitchers who, you know, had they gone to pro ball, maybe would have had, you know, rocky, rocky developmental path from mm-hmm. age, you know, 18 through 21, uh, but still would have figured it out had they, um, you know, let's say had you, you know, stay in college from <laughs> mm. age 22 or, or beyond, you, you get to work with these players at a different point uh, in yeah. their careers where, yeah, maybe had, uh, you know, somebody like Kirkering gone to uh, pro ball right out of the draft, maybe it still would have been some of the same, um, you know, learning curve or some of the same struggles early in his mm. career. There's obviously no way to uh, kind of falsify that, that claim. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a good point though, just to bring up. And I think Max Scherzer has even talked about like the value of going to college uh, as a pitcher. He he thinks it's a, a really beneficial pathway. And there is something too, I think even from, from like a big league team's perspective, just the survivorship bias you get from a college pitcher, even if there's been little or nothing done player development wise, just knowing um, that you have this player who's been healthy throughout a college schedule makes you feel a little bit better about their chances of getting injured in the future. I think that's part of the reason why, I mean, if you look back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, like the rate of high school pitchers who would sign in the draft, it's at pretty much an all-time low this year. I think the number is around 11% of all the pitchers who were signed this year came from the high school level. So certainly big league teams are are more than happy to let pitchers go and develop at college um, and, and return a few a few years later when they can either feel better about the physical development or the pitching skill development or just the fact that they've gone there three years, pitched on a, a schedule that was a little bit closer to what a pro schedule is for a pitcher and been healthy throughout it all. So there's certainly benefits to it. I'm not saying yeah. it's, it's never the right call for you. Like clearly there are pitchers who who need to go to college, just aren't ready for the pro game. Yeah, and some of the teams uh, still don't care if the – Players have been injured throughout their <laughs> college career, and they'll take them high and pay them a whole bunch of money. Yeah, a number of those this year, especially no, no great uh, second tier crop of college arms in the twenty twenty three draft. So, all right, uh, any other call ups uh, of note for you? I mean, we, well, we yeah, mentioned he, Junior Caminero briefly. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to return to Kirkering because he is such a fun player. Um, yeah, I was no, surprised I mean, to kind of see Caminero brought up. I was surprised too. The Rays are typically not a skip triple A organization. <laughs> They're very much yeah. slow step by slow step. Wait till these guys. I mean, there's only so much you can do like <laughs> with Wander Franco, somebody at least with him coming up through the minor leagues mm. so quickly. Um, he's going to get there fast no matter what. But um, I, I would, did not expect him. I didn't think he belonged in double A anymore, but <laughs> I was surprised to see him get the call i think it's going to be a good conversation (laughs) next year Hmm. on just the top five top five six players in yeah for for our top 100 prospects i think it's some combination of jackson holiday jackson churio wyatt langford dylan cruz and junior camonero among position prospects and and then paul skeens for pitchers and i think you make a lot of i think you make a good case for a lot of those guys at number one or or number two uh and i think you make a case for a really compelling case for jackson or excuse me for junior camonero 
uh, too many Jacksons, uh, being, <laughs> being number, at least number two. I mean, he's, he's 20 years old. It was 324, 384, 591 between high A and double A. Most of mm. that came at double A, and some of it came when the Southern League was using that pre tax ball. So mm-hmm. uh, even more challenging conditions given that context. 31 home runs. Jackson Holiday was our minor league player of the year, but I think Junior Caminero would have been a very deserving winner too with the season that he yep. had. Um, there's there's definitely chase tendencies there. I would like to see him become a more selective hitter, but he's also not a free swinger either. Mm. The offensive track record is great, uh, and the power that he's able to generate from his bat speed, his strength, uh, the leverage in his swing, it's, it's outstanding. We've seen already just in a very brief time in the big leagues, uh, EVs up to 112. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was up to 117 in the minor leagues. I, if you ask me, like, which prospect in baseball has the most usable game power, I, I'd go with Caminero. I mean, on on raw power, I think you can make you, uh, you can make a case for him, but like Owen Casey with the Cubs. I mean, even Elijah Green with the Nationals, <laughs> like the Pirates have Tony Blanco Jr. in the Dominican Summer League, you know, gigantic raw power, but uh, with a lot of holes in the swing. You, you could bring up a lot of other names, I think, in the conversation too, just for raw power, but Cam Monero's game power might be the best of any prospect in baseball. He's a right-handed hitter who's hitting the ball out to right field like he's a lefty. <laughs> um, just he threw. I, I was watching him. Kai Bush was uh, was pitching against him last month. He, he threw him a changeup. It was an O two changeup. It was off the plate away. He's got like that usual his open stance set up the big leg kick. Uh, yeah. He just reaches out, gets the barrel on it, and he just has so much bat speed and strength. The ball just it carries out to deep right field the right fielder just turns around <laughs> does this little courtesy trot and he just he just watches it land in the trees the opposite way it's it's pretty incredible yeah i am i don't have any confidence in how i'm going to line up those five i i think the five hitters that you mentioned are are the top guys in some order i think in any number of them really have a case for the top spot and i think it's just incredibly hard to separate those. The other player that I'm I'm curious about for usable raw power would actually be Wyatt Langford. Like he's just been tremendous mm-hmm. so far in pro ball. Ten home runs in 44 games. He made it up to AAA. He's played five games in AAA. Has yet to homer there, but but he homered four times in 12 games in AA. Five times in 24 games in High A. He also has pretty massive, just raw power in general. His exit velocity so far would be the best of anyone of this group of five outside of Caminero. It's obviously a smaller sample. I'm, I'm pretty confident that that Langford would have pretty similar top end exit velocity numbers, uh, at least 90th percentile exit velocity marks to Caminero over a full season. 
But if you look at Wyatt Langford's raw power, his chase, his contact ability, I think you could make a case that he's maybe the most exciting offensive prospect in baseball. Now, I do think every single one of these other players has a chance to add more value as a defender um, Mm -hmm. and has a chance to either play on the infield or an up-the-middle position. But the fact that we have Langford, who I would imagine most people would have towards the bottom of this group, uh, and maybe that'll change over the offseason. I don't know. Yeah, like the fact I don't that the fact that he has a the fact that he has such a compelling case because his metrics looked awesome in college. His production college is great. That immediately transferred to pro ball. He's already at AAA. I think I would imagine the Rangers are as incentivized as any team to promote him to the big leagues quickly. So there's proximity. There's physicality. Really, the only question he has, and I don't even know how much of a question it is for you, because I think he'll be perfectly fine in left field. Like I think he'll be at least an average defender there is like if you want to nitpick the profile which we tend to do when we're kind of trying to separate players at the top of lists like this is you don't see as much of an obvious obvious path to like a really good defensive player Um, but everything else is pretty eye-opening and I'm really curious to see what the spread is for our staff when we put together top 100s like how many different players get votes for number one um and how how differently these players are arranged because i i think you could make any number of different combinations of lining these guys up and have a defensible take for it and i don't even know who i would like i think i would i would have entered this conversation this podcast with you just kind of putting jackson holiday in that one spot because he's our minor league player of the year because he's he's kind of in that spot now because he's the best guy the best chance to play shortstop but there are a lot of things like with all these players. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's it's tough because like Cruz, Skeens, Langford, they don't have the same pro track record of mm, yep. some of the other players. And when we've had a, like a trio of great candidates for number one, like I think we had one year, what it was Vlad Jr., Ronald Acuna, maybe like Otani when he was coming mm-hmm. over was that year. Yeah. And then we've had Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Ad- Adley Rushman. Rushman. And mm-hmm. now it seems like, wait, we can expand this even, <laughs> even more than just three guys for that top, whether it's number one or top two, three spots in, in our top 100. Yeah. I, plus, I don't think plus, I would. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you got it. I was just going to I was just going to say, plus Wyatt Langford seems to be transferring by maybe osmosis some power since he got in the organization <laughs> to Evan Carter. Yeah. Noted, that... noted slugger, five <laughs> home runs in his first 19 games in the big leagues. Talking about yeah. great call-ups, just turned 21 years old. He's well, been... I guess Carter was just, you know, he wanted he wanted people to... Uh, he wanted to be humble. He didn't want to be great at everything in the game. Uh, he was waiting until he got to the big leagues to unleash his final form. And like you said, he's already homered five times in 19 games. Prior to that, in 2023, he had played in 108 games and homered just 13 times. Um, if you look at the... Like his sweet spot percentage right now is would be tops in baseball if he qualified. Um, the exit velocity is still like, I'd, I'd imagine similar. Do you, do you know what his minor league numbers are? Do you have those at hand? His average exit velocity in the minors? 
for uh, for Carter. For Carter, because in the majors so far for for Carter, it's been eighty eight. That seems like I it's mean, a tick yeah. higher than what his minor it league is, number was, but yeah, it's about eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, but it's it's a tiny sample. I mean, I think I expected M. Carter to play well. I would I did not expect this sort of power to immediately surface. He was kind of a guy who. I was hoping would add some more physicality, learn to drive the ball over the fence a little bit more, but would have been perfectly fine with uh, just more like doubles sort of power, good average, good OBP, solid defense, and some speed. But yeah, he's he's a preeminent slugger now. Do they? Do you bring up Wyatt Langford now? Put put him and Evan Carter <laughs> on a postseason roster? Oh man, that would be a ton of fun. Do they even have a? <laughs> What is their outfield looking like right now? Because they're about to they're about to close up the you know West. It feels like both the Astros and the Mariners have really seemed to let them get back into things, and I think they they're like the favorite for it at this point as we record this podcast. Yeah, it's still pretty tight yeah, there, it's but... what like Leody Tavares, uh, Adoli Garcia is there. Um, so uh, I, yeah, bring know. up Langford. Bring up Langford. Bring up. Let's make it happen. Just yeah, just, it's better. better <laughs> I mean, Nolan Shanwell can do it. Wyatt Langford is a better hitter than him in college. Come on, he's gonna have a forty percent on base percentage like Shanwell with power. A little more power, yeah. <laughs> a little more power with power with a better defensive position. Come on, why not? Go for it. The Ray, if the Rays of all people can push their prospects, why can't the Rangers? Yeah, he's been. No, Evan Carter has been tearing it up. So are we immediately other... changing our outlooks on his power, or are we just going to wait until he has a full season and, and reevaluate then? Uh, maybe a, a smidge. Is that fair? Like a yeah, little bit. Fair. Kind of feel. It matters. I feel good that he's hit <laughs> this kind of power in in the big leagues already. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It's been good. Where do we have him on our 100? He was like right at 10, 9, 11, somewhere around there. I, I know I made a big deal of thinking White Langford for, should rank above Evan Carter. I'm not sure. I know initially on the list, Carter was above. I'm not sure if Langford jumped in before he got promoted. We have Langford ahead of him. We have Carter at 10. So Awesome. Well, just, just in time for him to go up and hit five home runs. Yeah, two spots ahead of uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, who mm. who might be good in the big leagues, but I don't know. He They don't seem to want to let him play. <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite understand what the they're doing uh they're trying to give away their playoff spot i think is what they're doing uh, i think that might be mission mission <laughs> accomplished or it's certainly i think it's uh way. basically them and the marlins down the stretch we'll, we'll decide who uh who gets that one but yeah how many games has he started since he's been up he, he's got 11 total games uh, he hasn't really hit much, but like you said, he's basically been coming in as a defensive replacement late in games. I mean, he's started one of those games, if if I'm not mistaken. Otherwise, seventh inning, sixth inning, seventh, sixth, seventh, seventh, sixth, fourth to eighth. Uh, and then in last night's game, as we're recording this, he came in in the ninth. So I guess, yeah, they just wanted a, a pinch runner and a center fielder, I guess. All right. What is your what is your thought on that? Like, do you think that is problematic for his development? Do you think that's a a fine because I mean, he does seem like a good player to use as a defensive substitution late in games and as a pinch runner if you want that role? Like, he has the 
the tool set and the skill set to, I would assume, add some value in that capacity. Um, would you rather? No, I don't think it. I don't think it hampers his. No, because he's not even going to play all all that much. I, it, I'm fine mm. with him being in the big leagues. He can certainly fit that role. But but even earlier, there were times where they just weren't even bringing him in in that role, mm. and I think it uh, was a little bit confusing to me why you would especially have a, a player that's defensive caliber of p crow armstrong and and not use him in in those situations but um but i'm obviously get, still very very high on him need to get him used to the lights used to the environment before you throw him in there you know can't all be nolan chanuel debuting the leadoff spot in front of mike trout not everyone <laughs> can do that <laughs> Well, how about another Cub that has uh, been been quite good in his pro or his big league debut, I should say, uh, Jordan Wicks. He was a favorite of mine, and so far through six starts, despite not really striking out anyone, it's a 3.0 ERA over 33 innings, uh, 150 ERA plus. He's striking out 6.3 per nine, walking 2.7 per nine. Uh, I, I think I labeled Jordan Wicks as the sort of, and, and when I say we, like the entire scouting industry was telling me this at the time as well, but Wicks was this very safe, high likelihood, big leaguer, low upside starting pitcher prospect that we, tip, we, we typically always have one of these left-handed pitchers in any draft class. 2023 was a little bit different, um, but that seems to be kind of the guy he's at. I, I would still like to see him strike out a few more batters and feel like his production here was a little bit more sustainable because you could easily see it being the case where he gets a little worse batted ball luck and um, and just isn't quite as good. The FIP is almost a full run higher. Um, so I'd like to see a little bit more strikeouts. But what are your thoughts on Jordan Wicks? Yeah, I think he'd be a solid back-end starter. Uh, I wouldn't expect more than that. Um, mm. Maybe he could be, but I, I, I see a guy who low 90s fastball, Good changeup. That's it seems like that's always been his his best pitch mm-hmm. for him, right? And then yeah. the breaking ball, it's, no, it's all right. But I think that's part <laughs> of the reason why you're not seeing bigger strikeout numbers for him. So um, sometimes, sometimes you take those quote unquote safe back end starters, and they end up just being you know triple a uh kind of emergency yep. call-up types and yeah, they're not quite as safe as, as you thought uh, but and, and maybe that ends up being the outcome for him too but i certainly think that what he's shown so far is there's enough to stick around in a fourth fifth starter role um would he be a, a top 100 type prospects I, I don't know i might have a hard time putting him yeah. in, in that range until I felt better about missing the uh, missing some more bats. Yeah, I think the way he's pitching is probably the way to go for him because what hitters have done against his four-seam fastball is pretty dangerous. He hasn't been missing a ton of bats with that pitch. Uh, the weighted on-base average allowed against the fastball, the four-seam fastball, is, is 402. Um, he's throwing that pitch 26% of the time, throwing his changeup 31% of the time. So, and, and that's what the pitch he's throwing most frequently. I don't know what the track record is of players who are relying so much on a changeup and throw as hard as he does. Like 
There are clearly not many cases of that type of player. The fact that he's left-handed obviously helps. Um, the fact that the changeup has continued to get results, uh, both in whiffs and poor contact, uh, when contact is made, is encouraging. Makes me continue to feel that it is it is a legit plus offering. Um, but whether that's just him mixing in the sinker, mixing in the cutter, mixing in a few of the breaking balls that he does throw, uh, and just kind of... I don't know how many other pitchers are consistently putting up respectable back-the-rotation starter numbers without missing a ton of bats these days. It's just such a rare profile that it's it's hard to be entirely confident in, but I have always liked Jordan Wicks because I think he is a really good pitcher, and I really do buy the changeup. Uh, but your margin for error with this sort of profile is so limited that I'm, I'm hopeful that he can maybe develop something with one of the fastballs to give him another another go-to pitch that uh, that... So he's entirely reliant on the changeup. Yeah, and if I think if you're left-handed, that helps to be in changeup, um, changeup reliant, like you're saying, because uh, you're going to face a lot of right-handed hitters. So I think it helps yeah. neutralize those batters as a starting pitcher. But um, and, he, and he does throw strikes. That's another point in his favor. So hmm. I, I think he can settle into a, a steady back-end starter role. Yeah. The, I mean, if, but we're, if we're talking about guys who got called up in the last month or so, who, or who at least have been up in the last month or so, who are change up heavy guys, I mean, Kyle Hurt with the Dodgers, mm. um, fifth round pick of the Marlins out of Southern Cal in that five round draft in 2020. So he signs, never, never actually pitches for the Marlins because, there's no minor league season in 2020. And then in February, 2021, before the season starts, the Marlins trade him to the Dodgers for uh, Dylan Florio and first two years of the Dodgers. Uh, he, I guess he, he did strike out a lot of batters, but ERA over five each hmm. year, a lot of walks uh, is 2022 season. He walked 7.4 batters per nine reached double a that year it just got blown up era over 10 in 31 innings as a 24 year old uh, but this season his control has taken a, a pretty significant step forward it's still below average but it's it's 4.3 walks per nine between double a AA and triple a and then 14.9 strikeouts per nine or, or 152 strikeouts in 92 innings so he does have a it's it's a good fastball. It's 94, 97. He'll get swing and miss up with that pitch, but the the bread and butter really is that changeup. It's it's an upper 80s changeup, so it comes out pretty firm, but uh, it really looks like a fastball coming out of his mm. hand. Maintains his arm speed, and then it has late drop that really gets some goofy looking swings with the ability <laughs> to uh, just miss bats, whether it's lefties or righties. He came into that game against the Padres uh, earlier. It, it, like it was garbage time. It was a blowout, uh, but he, he threw some filthy, filthy changeups that just fell off the table. <laughs> yeah. The Dodgers seem to have a, a pretty good track record of doing this. I mean, Kyle Hurt was a very divisive prospect um, in that draft class in 2020. 
his stuff was always pretty loud. The fastball had good velocity. It would get up to 95, 96. I think everyone thought the changeup was plus. The curveballs would flash that, but the fastball played down at times. He never really put up the numbers you would expect from someone with the stuff that he has. Uh, and I think the Dodgers have even taken a few other pitchers in this draft class that, that are similar, like Ryan Brown out of Ball State. He's got a changeup that, that he threw more than 50% of the time. It got double-plus grades, got great whiff rates. Uh, and he's, he, again, he struggled to a 4.76 ERA, walked too many batters. They have another pitcher in Eric Swan at Middle Tennessee State. Massive, six foot six, 240 pounds, has been up to 102. Flashes with the secondaries, but also walks a ton of batters. So I think that the Dodgers are just able to get the most out of these pitchers, whether it's guys who've dealt with injuries, guys who haven't thrown enough strikes, uh, guys who have some questions about the shape of their fastball. Like They're able to just take arm talent and, and maximize it in a way that's really impressive, really consistently. So it's it's not too surprising that they've been able to do that with Hurd. And both them and the Braves have a number of, of openings, it seems like, in their pitching staff. So if you can fill those with homegrown guys, like that's an advantage that most teams uh, can't really can't really bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Emmett Sheehan was just pitching the other night. Another example yeah. of that too, of not great mm-hmm. results in college, but you know, showed some signs that somebody could help him tweak the yeah. the, the stuff that he has to get the most out of it. Um, like with with Kyle Hurd, is is he someone I would trust in a a high leverage situation right now in a postseason game the way mm-hmm. I, I would with Kirkering? Like, no, I, I mean, I think the control is still a risk factor here. There's – don't love the breaking ball. So I'm, I'm usually wary, whereas Wicks is left-handed and does throw strikes. I'm more wary of a, a fastball changeup right-hander in the minor leagues, unless you have a truly – Yep. Truly exceptional changeup and ideally very good control with it as well. Hurt doesn't have the control, but he does have the type of changeup that you know you pair it with that mid to mid to upper nineties fastball to where I, I think he can carve out a role uh in that Dodger bullpen, but I, I think the control is something that's gonna have to be a uh, a developmental emphasis here. Yeah, no doubt. There are a number of other, I feel like there are a ton of, of late season call-ups this year. Maybe it's the case every year, but you mentioned even more with some real changes. Are there any other names that you want to go over uh, that we haven't touched on here? Yeah, I like the Reds bringing up Noel V. Marte. Um, mm. he, I, I've always been a, a fan of his since watching him before he signed the Dominican Republic. You have, uh, you've long been the yeah. Noel V. Marte uh, bandwagon captain or what, what would the phrasing of that be either way you've liked him for a long time yeah and we've seen power with big power with him this year already in a pretty brief glimpse in the big leagues he said he a ball up to 116 miles an hour in the big leagues that's about where we saw the same in the minors to 115 he has huge power he's a he's a very good fastball hitter um, one of the early at bats when he came up uh, he's facing Dominic Leone with the Mariners. Threw him a 95 mile an hour fastball. It was inside, not not like inside, like inner third, like inside off the plate. And and Marte has that open stance set up, leg kicks into 
um, like a landing point where he's kind of stepping in the bucket almost, but he has the bat speed where he's able to uh, just put the barrel uh, inside and and just launched it for for a nuke to left field. Um, he's he's definitely aggressive. He can get himself out. Like if if you have a good change up, he'll chase some sliders down too. But he's he's 21 years old, making his major league debut. I think there's a lot of offensive components to like that. Um, that really profile well at third base and, and to see him only hit uh, 11 home runs in his time in the minor leagues this year. I, I think there's, I think there's a lot more power upside in there where he's still just fully learning to tap into the, the raw power uh, that he does have. Cause, cause the power is there for him to be a, a 25 plus, maybe even 30 plus home run guy. If everything mm clicks yeah he is one of the many rookies this year for the reds who who have come up and and that we either like or have been really impressive um matt mcclain has, has maybe been the most impressive uh rookie they've had so far this year obviously ellie when he's going well is as electric and dynamic as anyone uh, but we mentioned some of the concerns that you still have with that profile uh can you guess which which teams would have the most rookie um position player war this year Mm -hmm. because obviously the reds reds do very well in this category but i'm curious how many of like let's say the top five teams you can name this is just this year position player war by fan graphs yeah i'm thinking like the d-backs or the orioles gotta have some d-backs are second the orioles are sixth okay yeah i gotta thank corbin carroll and gunner henderson carrying Mm -hmm. Some yeah, quite a bit there. For, for those. Uh, I don't know how much Cody Sanga is helping the Mets, but they're not uh, like... Just position players, so he oh, wouldn't, just he wouldn't qualify on this one. Maybe I should yeah. listen when you talk. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, podcast. you don't need to do that. You'd probably enjoy it more if you don't. So, the, I'll just run through the team. So the yeah. top five, uh, the Reds are first. They've got 8.7 war among their rookie position players. Then the D-backs with 7.1. The Twins with 6.6, the Brewers with 4.6, and the Royals also have 4.6. Uh, so the Orioles just miss out at 4.5, and then for very different reasons, the A's are at 7 with 4.4. Um, the bottom of that group, the worst teams in baseball for rookie hitter war, the White Sox, negative 2.9, the Cardinals, negative 1.3, the Angels, negative 0.3, the Pirates and Braves are both at zero. So that's your bottom five. Pirates at zero. That doesn't seem like a <laughs> encouraging sign given where No. I would not say I would are. not say that's very encouraging at all. Yeah. Um, but I mean it, we can talk more players, but this does lead into another topic I wanted to bring up with you. So if you want to talk about like young players, I think there's a lot of changes happening in baseball and I'm interested in like your thoughts on it. Yeah, just more more young players coming up. Yeah, so Matt uh, Matt in our Slack the other day uh, essentially said that um, I think this year was a record for rookie position players um, having the highest highest plate appearances in the last 100 years. Uh, this is also the highest war total for rookie hitters. Uh, for pitchers, it's not quite as much, but it's the fourth highest total of batters faced for rookie pitchers. 
and then the 10th highest pitcher war for rookies this year. So clearly there are a lot of young players uh, who are impacting the big leagues, uh, whether that's quantity or quality or both this year. And then Matt also had a piece that was published, I think right before he hopped on this podcast, basically just going over the reasons uh, why so many young players were moving through the minor leagues uh, as quickly as they are. Matt basically made the point that the five uh, 2023 first round draftees is the highest five first round 2023 draftees to reach double A or higher um, is the most we've seen. Um, I believe ever in the previous high was just two players. Um, so clearly there are changes being made in the minor league level. Matt outlines three reasons why that is. Um, his three reasons are, are just the quality of, of the 2023 college class this year, which makes sense when you think about the shortened 2020 season and the, just the impacts, the trickle effects that had um, for the 2023 class. Dylan Cruz is kind of the poster boy for that. Um, he cited high quality of, of data on amateur hitters, basically big league teams now are better than they've been before in identifying the best hitters because they have they have better data at lower levels. And then I think the biggest reason is that just the professional landscape having been changed. Um, so Matt has a really good piece that goes into all of this, but the, the youth movement in professional baseball, I think is fascinating. Uh, and I'm just curious what you think about all that, like whether it's good for the game, why it's happening. If you think it's a wave, if you think it's the new normal, um, I just feel like it, it could be a fun conversation to have. As far as the, because there's a couple different components there. Yeah, as far I, threw, as the, I threw a ton at you. <laughs> the big league youth play, younger players in the big leagues, or as far as players getting promoted mm. at a more whichever one you want to go to. Pace. I think they're linked. I think they're linked, and I I think both are interesting. But yeah, whichever one you want to tackle first. I think the some one other aspect of the promotions part two is that the the schedule itself is actually mm. different now, right? So you have yep. the lower levels of the season or the lower levels of baseball, their seasons end earlier. So the teams are yep. saying, well, okay, we could just send this guy home or we could have him go play, you know, instead of, you know, just – once the complex league season is done, go play in low A. Or once the low A or high A season is done, go play in double A in September. Or if the team is in the playoffs, go go there and just get more playing time. So it's best certainly for position players. Pitchers are mostly uh, shut down for the most part. So I think the schedule mm. plays a role in that as well. Yeah. How much of it do you think is, I guess, the fact that the game is more athletic now. I guess this is more related to the big league. So the, I guess I, I kind of threw a lot at you and now I'm trying to sort through everything that I did throw at you. Do you think this is because the schedule is different and the minor league setup is different, that this is just going to be the new norm for us? Or do you think this is kind of an outlier year in terms of talent being fast-tracked? Because I would probably be more inclined to think the former, that this is be this will be our more of a new norm. Like players will move quicker um, they're just like a, a smaller number of levels to push people through your points about the schedule. Uh, it just feels like we're going to be moving players quicker. Now teams seem to want younger, more athletic players at the big league level, a, a bigger share of at bats and innings, or maybe not innings. I think there's some evidence that suggests 
the pitcher age hasn't really gotten much younger at the big league level. Um, but just younger players having an Im- impact on the game quicker. The game is more athletic. JJ made one point that I thought was made all the sense in the world. Like the rule changes this year are more in line with younger, more athletic players, more speed, need rangier defenders, no shifts. Uh, so you're, you're required to do more as a defender and as an athlete on the field. And you would think that that kind of aligns with younger position players. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of just rambling here, but is this basically the new norm for us, do you think? As far as players getting promoted out of the draft, I think probably. I mean, Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford are pretty special talents. Mm. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll see players, you know, Adley Rushman or whoever else, you know, guys who come along with comparable talent at the top of the draft who should move quickly but like is is matt shaw somebody who coming into the draft we thought was like (laughs) this unprecedented or um potential star Mm. i'm not phrasing it the way i want to but he wasn't like viewed in in that caliber of player like brock wilkin is not like he's not an abnormal even even well yeah like all all three of those guys yeah, like you Brooklyn, have those guys Shaw, in the draft every, mm-hmm. every year. And like Matt Shaw's debut has been incredible. And I think his stock is up certainly since the, the draft with the way that he's performed. But I think that, yeah, like we'll see more players who will move um, the way that we saw college players move this year. And there's there's no more, like there's no more New York Penn League. There's no more mm-hmm. North Wesley, these short season leagues where teams would put those players in – a normal year uh, or, or prior to the um, to MLB killing off all these minor league teams, <laughs> it's just not an option uh, mm. anymore. So I, I think that uh, while, while we may have a particularly talented draft class, like like Kyle Teal, like good good prospect, but I don't think he's any anything out of the ordinary from what we would typically yeah. see from you know a mid mid first round pick so I, I think that's going to probably continue yeah and i wonder too how much the fact that that nolan shanwell we've talked about him at length on the podcast but the fact that he's posting a 40 percent obp straight out of a mid-major in college like will the fact that he's done that at the big league level maybe make thing make teams think that that it, it's more viable to push players this quickly because again like i think dylan cruz and wyatt langford would have been more prepared to get pushed that aggressively just given what we think of them as, as players, as hitters, as, as prospects. I I think that'd be great for baseball. It'd definitely be great for the draft. I think if players are moving this quickly to the upper levels and into the majors, maybe obviously you don't, you don't expect, or I don't think we'll have a Nolan Shanwell every year, but if you can close the, the player development gap between player getting into affiliated baseball and time it takes to see some of these players at the major league level. I think that makes the draft more exciting for, from a fan's perspective. Uh, it's certainly easier to, mm-hmm. to dream on players if you don't have to wait for five years for them to get up to that level. So if you're able to shorten that development timeline, I think that's phenomenal. And and hopefully the game has changed in a way to, to allow that maybe that'll make up for some of the negatives uh, that we don't like of the new, minor league system like the fact that the fact that it is harder to select a lot of really exciting deep projection prospects i think sucks 
Um, but if if the benefit we get is we're going to have a lot more players moving quicker to the bigs, maybe that's a trade-off that at least gets us to like a net neutral outcome. I think the greater availability of um, data and different metrics that don't show up on a player's um, you know baseball reference or you know milb.com stat page too has probably given teams more confidence to yeah. move players. Um, not that it's like unprecedented or anything for a, a player who's struggling to, uh, or, or struggling in terms of the the slash line to get promoted. Cause like I, I know teams have before promoted a player just almost because he was struggling just so he could have like a fresh reset when he looks at his, stats um at the new level but i think roman anthony with the red sox is one example of this where mm. he was hitting in low a he was hitting 228 376 317 with one home run in 202 plate appearances um this was his first you know start of his first full season as a second round pick out of high school mm-hmm. he gets promoted after that because all of i think big part of the reason why is the red sox said look everything you're doing is we like like you're yeah you're hitting the ball really hard walks are about equal to strikeouts you're making good Mm -hmm. swing decisions just having a lot of bad luck on balls in play it seems like so Mm -hmm. we're gonna promote you he goes to high a hits you know 294 412 569 finishes the year and in double a which the double a part two it is probably some something to do with the the way the the schedule is is structured now but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think teams just have more data available to them to say hey and anthony maybe is more of an extreme case but um uh, to say all right like th- this guy's pretty quickly we're really realizing is too good for this level and then when it's far when it comes to making decisions about bringing a player up to the big leagues, I think particularly for pitchers, whereas before, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, even you're relying a lot on, you know, reports from your triple A manager, your triple A pitching coach, uh, you're sending your farm director uh, down to watch the triple A games to watch that, that player pitch. Uh, You're obviously looking at the stats too, but trying to make a determination of whether this guy is ready to come up and get outs in in the big leagues or uh, whether it's a starting rotation or or especially for relievers um, like, you know, it sounds like the, what Matt was saying, the, the amount of relief rookie relievers used has been higher or yeah. Like a a bigger share, a bigger share of the, just the batters faced and the total war is, is going towards. uh, Yeah. So whereas earlier uh, teams might be more reliant on the, the veterans, somebody who at least has some big league experience teams are now saying, um, hey, wait a second! Like we're seeing the numbers this guy is putting up, and we're seeing the metrics on uh, stuff on on commands, uh, pitch usage, all, all sorts of th- different things that we could measure now that we weren't able to or, or didn't have as easy access to years ago. We can now use that in our decision making process to bring a player, not just to promote a player from from low A to high in, in Roman Anthony's case, but uh, to make a decision about bringing this guy from. Uh, triple a up to up to the big leagues 
Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I wanted to bring in a listener email here because it kind of ties into the general conversation that we're having. Um, Alex sent us this email a few weeks ago, and I don't know that I have like a very clear and good answer for it, but I wanted to just bring it up and see what you thought. And then this is also something I'd like to follow up on um, with like a more intensive study. Uh, but it's been something that I've been like asking around with scouts in the industry and, and just asking to the BA team in general. But Alex emailed and said, uh, generally speaking, which category of players do you feel has an easier time, an easier and harder time adjusting to the majors, pitchers or hitters? So that's his first question. Which which group do you think adjusts to the majors quicker, pitchers or hitters? I would say my my first guess would have been pitchers, but I've gotten conflicting feedback from other people on what they think. So what do you think? I think it depends just on the individual um, mm. and more so than the uh, the group, uh, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe hitters in general, but, um, but I think it, it really depends Has on the hitters have an easier time adjusting. You're saying, yeah, but, uh, but I mm. it, really, there's a wide variance, like in, in terms yeah. of the type of hitter that I think generally will have an easier time. Uh, okay. So that, adjusting. that actually gets to his. That gets to his second question because he said, he follows up and he says, I can see arguments for both, but didn't know if you had an opinion or if there was any sort of data or trends. Perhaps it needs to be broken down further as in hitters with good eyes or patient approaches or pitchers with good command or big heat or several pitches. Not sure. Just thought it would be a fun discussion. Um, so yeah, if there are any traits you think of hitters specifically that allows them to adjust to the big leagues quicker maybe that is interesting to bring in here but just to the point of like young players who are getting regular time i looked back and from 2000 to now batters who qualified um for the for the hitting title had enough had enough appearances to qualify for that there have been 34 who are 21 or younger at the major league level um and pitchers it's basically in half it's like 15 there have been 15 rookie pitchers um, age 21 or younger who have qualified for the ERA title. Um, so it, it at least seems like there are more young hitters who are being promoted earlier. That's not necessarily to the heart of your question, but it seems like it's easier for younger hitters to track through the minors and reach the majors and become regulars. But I'm curious what, what sort of traits you think uh, help hitters, especially since that's where you're going before, Ben. I think the approach is a big one. Now it, it mm. depends. Like when we, when we talk about adjust to the major leagues, like what's it, it probably just depends on what sample size we're talking about. Right. Because mm. yeah, you know, we're talking about a month. I think that's hard to predict with a great deal of confidence either way um, yeah. versus, you know, how do you adjust over the course of a, a full season? Uh, is that the initial, adjustment period that we're talking about. So I, I think generally hitters who have really good uh, feel for the strike zone, make good swing decisions, they're going to be at a, 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 an advantage to players who are more, more of a free swinger um, who, who aren't as great in terms of their pitch recognition. I think there are things you can get away with in double a and triple a that, are can get exposed more uh, in that area um, when you're facing big league pitching. Now, at the same yeah. time, there there are guys who 
succeed in the minors who, you know, as you get to the upper minors, it's, it's more of a challenge, but if you just don't have enough bat speed, you, you don't hit the ball hard mm-hmm. enough. Um, you know, you can have a, a great eye for the strike zone and it's going to be hard to make that, that work against uh, major league pitching, but in, in a smaller sample size, like Ellie De La Cruz is a great example where, yeah, like there's pretty yeah. significant <laughs> red flags there in terms of his approach, but his first month in the big leagues was absolutely electrifying. Not, not just in terms of his, you know, his tools and the highlight reel plays he was making offensively and defensively, but just in terms of the performance that mm. He had too. I mean, uh, like Sedan Raffaella right now with the Red Sox has been, you know, n- not quite as hot as um, the you know Ellie De La Cruz was, but he's been basically a league average hitter as a 22 year old premium position player. Like I, I think you would you take that right now, uh, but mm-hmm. long term, like or if he were to go through a full season, like. I think that approach is pretty risky. I don't know how, mm. um, you know, if, if what what kind of adjustments he would make, or you know, the league is going to make adjustments to to him too. So I think in general, I like to see hitters who are are selective hitters who recognize pitches and and control the strike zone. Uh, I generally feel more confident about their ability to. Um, you know, have a have a better transition to to the big leagues and the guys who are, are are more chase chase heavy. Yeah, what do you think about position players who uh, are at premium defensive positions versus a, a first base only type? So I I think you could argue this both ways, and I'm curious which one you think is more beneficial for adjusting to the major leagues. Like a guy like Anthony Volpe. He has really struggled offensively, but you could still say he's been a valuable player because he adds a lot defensively at a premium position because he's a good base runner. Uh, at the same time, Tristan Cassis, who plays first base, like he's been a much better hitter, 30% above league average by WRC plus compared to Anthony Volpe, who's been about 15% worse than league average as a hitter. Both of them have similar overall value in terms of wins above replacement. Uh, do you think it's easier for a hitter to come up and basically not have to? I guess this is this is all a spectrum because it's not like Tristan Cassis doesn't have to worry about defense, but he basically is up up there to hit. So primarily, he needs to focus on hitting, adding value as an offensive player, um, and what he does or doesn't do at first base is not m- as much of a deal. Whereas Anthony Volpe, he needs to play a tough defensive premium position. He needs to learn how to hit. Like, do you think? Do you think it's easier for a player like Volpe to adjust? Um, because even if he's not hitting, there are all these other ways he can add value. Or do you think it, it maybe makes it more challenging because there are a number of a number of things he needs to do well? I, I could kind of see it argued both ways, and I'm not entirely sure where I land on it. I almost think like from the team's perspective, it's easier to to promote the up the middle player who, who can add value in different ways. Cause you don't necessarily need him to be great at any one area. Um, but I'm curious what you think about that. Uh, I, I think it maybe depends what you're, um, what you mean, because who's going to have a easier time transitioning as a, 
as a hitter. Like I, I mm. feel more obviously and hindsight bias here, but more confidence yeah. in uh, Tristan Cassis just because he's a, a superior offensive player, but certainly the ability to play a premium position. And if you are not, not that I thought Anthony Volpe, uh, at least like coming out of the draft was going to be a plus defender and fields his position mm. uh, the way that he has. But if you know, you have a plus or, or a 70 defender, uh, at shortstop, it certainly adds more cushion to your value, even if you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, a below league average hitter. Um, and then I, you know, like if you're playing a premium position like shortstop, that's, you know, it, there's probably more, a greater likelihood that part of your value is going to come from your defense than if you're a, a first base prospect like there's there's so much more uh not not just positional value but it's just more likelihood that you're um like you know defense generally skews defensive talent generally skews toward younger players whereas at first base you know you're as a 22 year old and tristan cassis is not some you know little dude lacking strength by any (laughs) means but like you know you're going up against a lot of you know grown men who are you know 27 28 you know mm-hmm. years old who are in their physical prime whereas uh, defensively at at shortstop it's it's not a disadvantage to uh necessarily to be you know in your in your early 20s uh, or certainly mm-hmm. like in center field where speed is definitely a, a young player's skill and and such a vital component of your mm-hmm. defensive value as a center fielder yeah, no, I think all that makes sense. I think maybe like the players who are that premium up the middle defensive position, like maybe that just means your leash is is longer for dressing. Like you have a longer, you get more opportunities to fail as a hitter because you can do other things. Whereas I would imagine uh, the leash for, for players who are first base, corner outfit only types, like there are many more players who can slide down that, that defensive spectrum and take your job and there's more competition like you said because the threshold they need to clear defensively is just not as high so uh, maybe it's not a matter of like who which which allows you to adjust quicker but just the 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 amount of rope that you get to to fail in the big leagues uh, as a hitter specifically i guess but i think it's an interesting conversation all this is fun to talk about for me i think it's a good question from alex and hopefully i'll be able to like i would like to dig into this a little more and and see if there's any data point that comes out, like players who do X generally adjust quicker or players who do Y generally really struggle to adjust. I think you're probably onto it with the the approach, Ben. I think like the chase rate, the ability to recognize strikes probably gives you just a lot of cushion uh, to adjust quicker at the big league level than, than players who are maybe a little bit more erratic in their swing decisions. Um, but yeah, good question from Alex. Thank you for that email. If you guys do have questions and you want to send them to us, you can at future future projection at baseballamerica.com. Um, yeah, and I think that's it for me, Ben. Anything else you want to get into today? Uh, we got our we got the prospect handbook bundle available. I'll say if you got um, if you go to baseballamerica.com, we got an early bird price for the prospect handbook, uh, the, the almanac, the directory. So we have a a special early bird offer for for those of you guys who are uh, you know who want to get a jump start on pre-ordering those books got a deal either just go to baseballamerica.com or go to our uh, go to the baseball america twitter accounts the pin tweet 
right now. So uh, something something available for pre-order now. Nice. Yeah, if you know you're gonna be buying that book anyways, it's a good uh, it's a good opportunity. We don't we don't do a ton of deals or discounts like that, so I'd definitely jump on that if you know that's something you're gonna be interested in regardless. So a uh, good plug there. I don't really have much to plug. I think I did most of it at the beginning of the pod, what I'm working on. So yeah, if you guys, uh, if you're listening and you, you haven't given us a rating or a review and you feel so inclined, we would appreciate that. That that definitely helps us out. Um, and we'd love to see what you guys are thinking about the podcast. So wherever you're listening, if, if you're able to leave a rating and review, that would be awesome. Um, but uh, for Ben, I'm Carlos. Until next time, everybody, so long. <laughs>